Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 9.32 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. It is the 18th of November, 2022. This is episode 644 of Bitcoin and Ghost of Nunya has been terminated from Twitter. <clears throat> yes, I got, I got banned again from Twitter. And honestly, I, I'm pretty sure, well, I don't know if I'm pretty sure or not. I'm still mulling over whether or not I even want to go through the crap that it takes to set up another phone number, another email address, do all the bullshit that you got to do to get another Twitter account. Because, you know, we, we live in a, I guess we are, we are a lot closer to social credit scores like they have in China than I think we really believe. We, we think that, oh, well, that's just over in China, and then Europe will probably be next. And, you know, it, we've, got a, we've got a while to be able to, to fight this when, it, when, if and when it comes over to the United States. Ladies and gentlemen, that shit's here. And, and here's how I know. So the reason I got banned off of Twitter, last night, somewhere around 7.30 p.m., okay? That's at Ghost of Nunya, if you want to go check. It's, it's, it's gone. I just topped 2,000 followers. I've been having to build back my original Nunya business, my at B-E-N-N-D-7-7 Twitter account, which had over well over 6,000 followers. And then I was fighting back to get Ghost of Nunya uh, to get over 2,000. And I just gotten over 2,000. And then last night, I decided that maybe I should include my at Nunya business at bitcoinhackers.org is that how that is hold on let me let me make sure here yeah at nunya business at bitcoinhackers.org on the fediverse okay you can you i mean i'm still alive i'm just not alive on twitter right i included that address in my name last night and not more than five minutes later my account was suspended which can only, I mean, now I don't know if that's exactly why, but I got a good suspicion because I get an email from Twitter on the email account that I used to sign up for this new one that said that I was uh, banned or uh, suspended for evading permanent suspension. Now, BENND77 was, in fact, permanently suspended. Uh, it was like, right, I think it was a, the... Uh, January 1st, New Year's Day. I woke up and my Twitter account was completely gone. It was just gone. And I had had at Nunya Business at BitcoinHackers.org in that account title or in the the in my profile. 
And I did not put that in there again on this new account until last night. And five minutes later, I get the suspension notice for evading permanent suspension, which means that Ghost of Nunya is probably never coming back. If I do come back to Twitter, it's going to be under a completely different account. And honestly, it's also tiresome. I don't care. But the point is that if you think, if you think that we do not live in a society right now in the United States of social credit score, you're fooling yourself. Don't, don't get dragged into believing that social credit scores aren't happening. They are happening because the absolute second that I, like a dumbass, doxed myself, I wasn't even thinking about it, okay? It just didn't, didn't even cross my mind when I put that Bitcoin hacker's address in there and sure shit, five minutes later, done all the work that I tried to do on the Twitter account for, you know, ghost of none over the last year. It's just all vaporized. That's fine. That's fine. Again, it's, I am at Nunya business on, uh, or at bitcoinhackers.org. I highly recommend if, if you guys have not explored using the Fediverse through something like Mastodon or, uh, was Pleroma. I can't, there's so many, there are so many windows into the Fediverse that I, I just can't keep track of them all. I use Mastodon. I, I like the interface. It's not bad, but it's Mastodon is not the Fediverse. Okay. It's, it's just not, it's, it's a browser, if you will, into the Fediverse, but you can get to me at none business at bitcoinhackers.org. If you don't have a account with one of the instances in the Fediverse, because BitcoinHackers.org is just one instance, right? And I think the signups are closed for it right now. But like, no, there's no agenda.social. That's another instance in the Fediverse. There are thousands of instances that you can sign up for. You just need to find one that's, you know, taking signups. Um, if, if you can, I highly recommend that you at least give it a shot. It's, is it different? Yeah. Uh, but there's no algorithms. It's, it is complete, like whoever it is that you follow, if they, you know, uh, if they blast out a, a message into the Fediverse, you get it whenever it is that they put it out there. It's not hidden. It's not algorithmically suppressed or boosted. It, and, and yeah, things don't work the, sa- the same way that they work on Twitter. But after some of the shit that I read last night, after I got banned, I'm not sure if there's going to be much of a Twitter to come back to if I do decide that I want to go through all the bullshit to do it. What am I talking about? Well, Martin Young from Cointelegraph kicks us off today's news with Twitter closes offices. Staff resign while users eye decentralized options. That's right. Elon Musk has been shaking up the Twitter tree since he took over the microblogging platform in late October. His latest move has resulted in an exodus of employees and office closures. Earlier this week, Musk issued an emailed ultimatum to Twitter staff saying that they need to commit to working long hours at high intensity or clear their desks by Thursday, November the 17th, which was yesterday. 
A large number of them have taken the second option, which is understood to include three months severance pay, resulting in the company temporarily closing its offices as hundreds of employees have walked out, according to reports. Twitter also announced it was temporarily suspending all badge access until Monday, November the 21st, asking staff to refrain from discussing confidential company information on social media, with the press, or elsewhere. Okay. According to a poll on the workplace app Blind of 180 people, 42% chose the answer, taking exit option, I'm free. Reported, reported Reuters on November the 18th. In a separate poll, half of the respondents estimated that 50% of the staff would leave. Employees are not the only ones fleeing Twitter in Musk's wake, as users have been seeking out alternatives, <clears throat> like Fediverse. One that has come to light recently is Mastodon, which has seen new registrations surge. Now, I'm going to pause there to reiterate something that's important to understand if you're thinking about getting into the Fediverse. I've already said it once, but it bears repeating because people are thinking all over the place that Mastodon is the alternative. It is not. It is a window, a browser, if you will, into that which is the true alternative, and that is the federated system of nodes and people that have come together to become known as the Fediverse, or I guess Federated Universe. Mastodon is one way to peer into that world. It is not the Fediverse itself, okay? Be very clear about that because people are really making mistakes when they're talking about what Mastodon is, all right? Okay, so now continuing. The decentralized social network is a federation of independently operated interconnected servers running on open source software. On November the 12th, Mastodon claimed it had added over a million new members since the Twitter deal closed. On November the 3rd, MIT reported that Twitter had lost the same number of users since Musk's acquisition. Former Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey also unveiled in October his decentralized social media network, Blue Sky Social, which aims to give users control over their data and will feature portable user accounts and access to an open market of algorithms. Dorsey hopes his Bitcoin-powered platform will draw users away from centralized and scam and spam-filled Web2 social media. Dorsey has already refused to accept the position of CEO at Twitter, as Musk said this week that he wants someone else to run it. <laughs> Jesus. Meanwhile, Elon Musk lamented the trials and tribulations of running a social media network after news of the employee exodus broke. And here's, here's Elon Musk's tweet. How do you make a small fortune in social media? Start out with a large one. Hmm. Well, that's your fault, dude. In a separate tweet responding to questions by pop culture blog Barstool Sports founder Dave Portnoy, Musk said that he was not super worried as the best people are staying. And then there's this tweet from Dave Portnoy who says, what do people mean when they say Twitter is going to shut down? Doesn't it kind of run itself? I feel like engineers are for changes not to just keep it running. That's a a bizarre sentence. I also don't know anything. Hey, Elon Musk, want to do a Twitter space with me? I'm confused. And that's when Elon Musk replies and says, the best people are staying, so I'm not super worried. 
Well, I don't. Who, who's best, and what are people? Those are two questions that Twitter definitely needs to answer. Now, when I when I first got booted off of Twitter, that was well, that was after Jack Dorsey had left and before Elon Musk did all of all of this stuff, and I was pretty pissed. Um, this time, I'm I'm actually not all that. I'm I'm not even all that upset. Honestly, because it looks to me like Twitter is in fact going down in flames. Now, last week or the week before, I, 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 I this is not on my radar. I really, it probably should have been. You probably are going, God dang, you didn't see it coming. I knew, I saw the potential coming, but uh, you know, I kind of figured that it wouldn't be this bad this quick. But, you know, one of the things that Elon Musk did last night, and this isn't in this in this report, we're going to move on from Twitter here in a second, is he fired the the badge account manager. So your badge, like you work at Twitter, you got a badge, you hold it up to these old, you know, you know, locking door things and it unlocks the door depending on your access in the company, right? Well, they fired they Dave got fired. He was like, just let go. He was, he, he's no longer works at Twitter, cleared out his desk, went home. And then apparently Elon Musk called the guy and said, we need your help. Can you come back and help us get back into the building? Because they turned off badge access for everyone, including themselves. <laughs> According to reports, nobody could actually get into the building. I, I, I don't know if that's true. But even if they could get into the actual Twitter headquarters, I'm sure it was a mess because all badge access had been basically killed. So nobody could actually unlock any doors. So they call this guy. And from what I understand, he actually came back and helped them clear that shit all up, which I wouldn't have done. I would have been like, dude, you fired me. Go fishing. I, I don't know. The whole thing is bizarre though. When you start adding it up, it's really bizarre because some of the other reports that they're talking, this mass exodus of employees, what they didn't center on was the fact that a lot of these guys are, are full engineering teams of critical systems, like being able to propagate a tweet into Twitter. That's pretty mission critical because that's your whole deal. And you have no engineering team that is gonna make sure that that shit stays above board. Also, last night, right after I, well, no, about four o'clock, so a couple, few hours before I got booted off of Twitter, all of a sudden down detector that you can go and see if a website is down with, it just, Twitter problems spiked. And at the same time those were spiking, you know what was going on? Mastodon was adding 10,000 users an hour at the same time 10,000 users were signing up to something you know some kind of instance on the fediverse through the mastodon window so mastodon was able to track how many users were actually using mastodon that way and they found and it's still and and the signups are still very very high i don't know if there's going to be a twitter to come back to it's sad. I mean, don't don't get me wrong. I'm I'm not up, I'm not all that upset, but it is kind of sad to see this whole this whole thing unfurl. But even if this thing didn't unfurl the way that it seems to be doing, 
I ain't, I am pretty sure Twitter was doomed to begin with because of, well, just the way they were censoring everybody. But we've got other things to talk about because everything is unprecedented. This is unprecedented. Enron liquidator overseeing FTX bankruptcy is speechless. Quote, I have never seen anything like this. Written by Tyler Durden from Zero Hedge. A few days ago, we asked how much longer do we have to wait for the first day affidavit in the FTX bankruptcy. Traditionally, the most detailed and comprehensive summary of how any given company collapsed into Chapter 11. And this morning, we finally got our answer when it hit the docket. Almost a full week after FTX filed on November the 11th, and boy, is it a doozy. Because how else would one describe it when FTX's new CEO and liquidator, John Ray III, who also oversaw the unwinding and liquidation of Enron, admits that, quote, Never in my career have I seen such a complete failure of corporate controls and such a complete absence of trustworthy financial information as occurred here, end quote. And just in case his shock at FTX's fraud of epic proportions was not quite clear enough, he adds that, quote, from compromised systems integrity and faulty regulatory oversight abroad to the concentration of control in the hands of a very small group of inexperienced, unsophisticated, and get this, potentially compromised individuals, this situation is unbelievable precedented, end quote. Courtesy of the affidavit, here's what the company's org chart looks like as of November the 17th, and it's just a spaghetti bowl of of lines connecting, you know, 50 different companies. According to Ray, he has located only a fraction of the digital assets of the FTX group that they hope to recover during the Chapter 11 bankruptcy. They've so far secured about $740 million of cryptocurrency and offline cold wallets, a storage method designed to prevent hacks. This is just a fraction of the 10 to $50 billion in liabilities the company disclosed in the bankruptcy filing. How do we know it's a fraud? As Ray writes on page 24, sorry, page 20 the four. As Ray writes on page 24, although the investigation has only begun and most run its course, it is my view, based on the information obtained to date, quote, that many of the employees of the FTX group, including some of its senior executives, were not aware of the shortfalls or potential commingling of digital assets, end quote. Many, maybe not, but some, and certainly SBF himself did. It gets better, though. Ray said that companies' audited financial statements should not be trusted. Ray said, adding that liquidators are working to rebuild balance sheets for FTX entities from the bottom up. God, could you imagine? FTX, quote, did not maintain centralized control of its cash and failed to keep an accurate list of bank accounts and account signatories or pay sufficient attention to the credit worthiness of banking partners, according to Ray. Advisors don't yet know how much cash FTX Group had when it filed for bankruptcy, but has found about $560 million attributable to various FTX entities so far. 
Although restructuring advisors have been in control of FTX for less than a week, they've seen enough to depict the crypto company as a deeply flawed enterprise. Lasting records of decision-making are hard to come by. Bankman-Fried often communicated through applications that auto-deleted in short order and asked employees to do the same, according to Ray. Corporate funds of FTX Group were used to buy homes and other personal items for employees, Ray said. Corporate funds were also used to buy homes and other personal items for employees and advisors, sometimes in their own personal names. Jeez. Quote, in the Bahamas, I understand that corporate funds of the FTX group are used to purchase homes and other personal items for employees and advisors. I understand that there does not appear to be documentation for certain of these transactions as loans and that certain real estate was recorded in the personal name of these employees and advisors on the records of the Bahamas. <laughs> Ray who also noted that the company didn't have appropriate corporate government governance, never held board meetings, ever. There was no accurate list of bank accounts and account signatories, as well as insufficient attention paid to creditworthiness of banking partners. Ray said the company did not have an accurate list of its own bank accounts or even a complete record of the people who worked at FTX. He added that FTX used an unsecured group email account to manage the security keys for its digital assets. The filing, the filing sheds light on the sloppy business practices such as FTX employees asking to be paid through an online chat platform where a disparate group of supervisors approved disbursements by responding with personalized emojis. Below, we excerpt some of the most notable highlights from the affidavit, which I'm just not going to read. It's just too long. Let's just skip over that one. You've, you've already hear, heard enough on that. There's much more information on each of these silos in the affidavit. In the silos, they're, they're talking about all the, the corporate structure and how everything was siloed into basically four different groups, but that's something else. Um, <clears throat> but what we're curious about at this stage is what the Alameda balance sheet looks like. After all, that's what started this whole avalanche in the first place. Here are those details. The parent company and primary operating company in the Alameda silo is Alameda Research LLC, which is organized in the state of Delaware. Before the petition date, as defined below, the Alameda silo operated quantitative trading funds specializing in crypto assets. Strategies included arbitrage, market making, yield farming, and trading volatility. The Alameda silo also offered over-the-counter trading services and made and managed other debt and equity investments. In short, the Alameda silo was a crypto hedge fund with a diversified business trading and speculating in digital assets and related loans and securities for the account of its owners, Mr. Bankman Fried and Wang. 90% from Bankman Fried and 10% to Wang. Alameda Research LLC prepared consolidated financial statements on a quarterly basis. To my knowledge, none of these financial statements have been audited. The September 30th, 2022 balance sheet for Alameda Silo shows $13.46 billion in total assets as of its date. However, because this balance sheet was unaudited and produced while the debtors were controlled by Mr. Bankman Fried, I do not have confidence in it, and the information therein may not be correct as of the date stated. Remarkably, 
Among the assets listed in the document was $4.1 billion of related party loans extended by Alameda, $3.3 billion of which was to Bankman Fried both personally and to an entity that he controlled. Bankman Fried previously said that FTX had accidentally given $8 billion of FTX customer funds to Alameda. <laughs> the highlighted related party receivable is notable because as footnote three to the table above reveals, it consisted of a loan by Euclid Way LTD to Paper Bird Incorporated, which is a debtor of $2.3 billion and three loans by Alameda, one to Mr. Bankman Fried of $1 billion, one to Mr. Singh of $543 million, and one to Ryan Salami for $55 million. The liabilities as of September the 30th, 2022 were manageable. Unfortunately, the reality is that the assets and liability numbers at the consolidated level were flipped, resulting in an $8 billion hole. Jesus. Okay. That's how bad this is. Now this, this, this thing goes on and on and on. I mean, it's, there's, I've never seen it. I've never even heard of anything like this. You got the guy that unwound Enron and he's saying this is the worst thing that he's ever been attached to in his life. He's never seen anything like this. This is not the last shoe to drop. The contagion here is clearly so bad that it would not surprise me one bit if one day soon we hear that Coinbase is filing bankruptcy. I don't know anything about that. I'm not making a I'm I'm not even making a projection. I'm not making a prediction at all of Coinbase. I'm just saying that if I heard the news an hour from now, I would not be surprised. I really wouldn't be surprised. Been saying it all week long. Get your money off of exchanges and do it fast. Now, re remember I was telling you about all those uh, transfers from FTX uh, to some unknown entity? We may have a clue as to what happened because it looked like FTX was being hacked and all their money was being drained or all their digital assets were being drained. Uh, but Braden Lindria has something else about that from Cointelegraph. Bahamian securities regulator ordered the transfer of FTX's digital assets. The Securities Commission of the Bahamas said it had ordered the transfer of all digital assets of FTX digital markets to a digital wallet owned by the commission on November the 12th. In a November 17th statement, the SCB said it exercised its power as a regulator acting under the authority of a Supreme Court order moving the assets to a digital wallet controlled by the commission, quote unquote, for safekeeping. SCB justified last week's move by stating that urgent interim regulatory action was necessary to protect the interest of clients and creditors of FDM. That's the FTX group, whatever. The latest revelation could shed some light on certain movements of funds detected last week. On November the 11th, the crypto community flagged a number of suspicious transactions in wallets tied to FTX and FTX US. 
with analysts reporting around $663 million drained. $477 million of that were suspected to be stolen, while the remainder was believed to have been moved to secure storage by FTX themselves. The SEB statement, however, did not make any mention of how much of FDM's digital assets were moved as a result of that order. Cointelegraph reached out, uh, have not received a response by uh, this time of publication. The commission's order would have been made only two days after the commission froze FDM's assets on November the 10th, suspending FTX's registration in the country and stripped the FTX directors of all their power. At the time, it also stated that FDM's assets could only be moved by obtaining the approval of a provisional liquidator appointed by the Supreme Court. The FTX bankruptcy drama has continued to unfold over the last week. On November the 15th, FDM filed for Chapter 15 bankruptcy protection in a New York-based court in order to seek U.S. recognition of the Bahamian liquidation proceedings. Brian Sims, the court-appointed provisional liquidator overseeing the bankruptcy proceedings of FTX Digital Markets, that's the FDM, in the Bahamas, argued in the filing that FDM wasn't authorized to file for Chapter 11 in the United States and rejected the validity of the filing. Yeah, so this seems to be a typo. It's not Chapter 15, Chapter 11 or something. I don't know. It's all confusing. On November the 17th, an emergency motion by FTX Trading Limited argued that both the Chapter 11 case and all proceedings related to, oh, it's, here it is again, all proceedings related to Chapter 15 filings should take place in the Delaware-based U.S. Bankruptcy Court in order to end the chaos and to ensure that assets can be secured and marshaled in an orderly process. The same filing also claimed that they have credible evidence that the Bahamian government is responsible for directing unauthorized access to the debtor systems for the purpose of obtaining digital assets of the debtors that took place after the com commencement of these cases. All right, so it would appear that all of those transfers from FTX's wallets to some unknown entity wallet was not a hack, but the actual liquidators doing work on a weekend, which I had previously said they just weren't going to do. Apparently, they were, they were looking at, at all the money in those wallets as a flight risk. Now, do we know this for certain? Not sure. They'd actually have to come up with, like, I don't know, signatures on the wallets involved proving that they had access to all of this stuff in the first place and that they did, in fact, drain the totality of all that money. But we may not know that for quite some time. I don't really care. El Salvador... El Salvador news, El Salvador to buy one Bitcoin every day, according to President Bukele. Bitcoin Magazine, Sean Amick. Naib Bukele announced late last night that the country would be purchasing one Bitcoin every day, starting today. The move to dollar cost averaging into Bitcoin is common in the community. However, it's novel for a nation state. Currently, the country holds a Bitcoin treasury of 2,381 BTC, valued at over $39 million. Bukele has made a habit in the past of making large BTC purchases during times of market volatility and quote-unquote buying the dip. Outside of just purchasing BTC and holding it on balance for El Salvador, the Bukele administration has fostered the birth of events gathering world leaders from countries all over the world to learn about the financial freedom Bitcoin adoption offers. In September, it was announced that over 30 countries with 110 speakers, including Senators Indria Kempis from Mexico, would gather to discuss financial inclusion. During this visit, attendees were introduced to the financial applications of Bitcoin and were able to see Bitcoin in action at Bitcoin Beach. 
And then in October, the state treasurer from North Carolina in the United States traveled to El Salvador on his own dime to learn about the changes Bitcoin has already made for the El Salvadoran company, uh, company, country. Quote, what we witnessed in El Salvador is very useful in our efforts to encourage more support and understanding for digital assets and emerging technologies here in South Carolina, said Dennis Fastoltis, president of the South Carolina Emerging Technologies Association at the time. As Bitcoin continues to foster throughout the El Salvadoran economy through new initiatives such as Bitcoin diplomas, Bukele and his administration clearly plan to double down on the country's investment into a Bitcoin-focused economy. It remains unclear how long the purchasing of one BTC per day will continue. I'm going to have to see it for myself. I don't trust Bukele. I kind of like him. I wouldn't mind having a beer with him, but trusting, that's eh, a different deal. We'll have to see if he actually does it. And we'll have to see if he can actually prove it in a way that that we're accustomed to. You're going to sign a message from the wallet that, you know, that purchased it? I, I you know unless you do shit like that, you're just blowing smoke. We have every way to be able to verify whether somebody did something by either sending or receiving Bitcoin that has never been in existence before 2009. We'll have to see. Don't trust him. He may be kind of cool. I don't know. I've never met him. But for God's sakes, don't trust anybody at this point. Let's run the numbers. CNBC, futures and commodities, oil and the rest of the energy markets are taking a bath. West Texas Intermediate is down a full three and a half percent to $78.69. We haven't seen that number in a quite a while. Brent North Sea is down three and a third points to $86.80. Natural gas down a full point to $6.30 per thousand cubic feet. Gasoline down 1.65% to $2.41 a gallon. Gold. All metal rocks are down. Gold down half a point to $1,753. Bucks. Silver down 0.05%. Platinum is down 0.86. Copper down one and a half. Palladium down three and a third point. Agricultural stuff is mixed. Basically, the, uh, the biggest loser today is cotton, 1.17% to the downside. Your biggest winner is sugar, 1.72% to the upside. Dow is up 0.11%. S&P up 0.14%. NASDAQ up 0.69% and the S&P mini essentially moving sideways. Now, going back to the energy stuff, a couple of weeks ago, Biden's administration mentioned that they were going to be buying oil at $75 a barrel to replenish the uh, reserves. It looks like he may get that. At $78.75 for West Texas Intermediate, he's actually really close to that number. Not praising Biden. Brandon can go fuck himself. What I am saying is that winter's coming on (laughs) and we are seeing energy prices crash and Germany is preparing emergency cash distributions to its population in case there's electrical blackouts across the country. 
somehow or another, this shit doesn't make any sense to me. Especially Brent Norsey, you know, being down as much as it is, because Brent Norsey is going to be the, the the benchmark price for European oil and gas products. I don't know what the hell's going on, but I just wanted to bring that up because is it possible we're looking at market manipulation? I don't know. Let's move on though. Uh, 40,465 transactions awaiting 74 blocks to clear. My oh my. $318.4 billion is our market cap, which is 2.59% of gold's entire market cap. And we can only buy nine ounces of shiny metal rocks with our one Bitcoin, of which there are 19,210,667.17 of and 5,000. 138.79 of those are in the Lightning Network valued at $85.2 million, being run over 16,125 nodes, supporting 77,052 payment channels, and 68.0% of all of that is being run over Tor and its associated nodes. That's going to do it for Vitals. Welcome to part two of the news you can use. Chainalysis is confirmed as an FTX creditor in the bankruptcy case. Chainalysis gave FTX money. Seems like a conflict of interest to me. Let's find out more. Alice Key from Decrypt.co, analytics firm Chainalysis, has announced that it is owed money in the bankruptcy proceedings for a collapsed exchange FTX. In documents filed to bankruptcy court in Delaware on Wednesday, Chainalysis was identified as a creditor and asked for any relevant materials to be sent to its lawyers. The blockchain analysis firm had a long-standing relationship with FTX going back to at least 2019 when the two joined forces to revamp the exchange's anti-money laundering and know-your-customer systems. That relationship appeared to be in place as of August when FTX last updated the help page on its website. Chainalysis was also one of 53 companies which FTX confirmed earlier this year that it was doing business with to Forbes magazine. Others on the list include big four accounting firms, Deloitte and PwC, payment provider Stripe, and a cadre of law firms. Yesterday's filings do not specify how much money Chainalysis may be owed. A representative for Chainalysis declined to comment when contract contacted by Decrypt. All right, so hopefully, you know, not that I like chain analysis, but hopefully chain analysis is just awaiting payment on for services rendered. And that's why they're a creditor and not somebody who has actually got into bed investment wise with FTX, because if they did, they lost all their money and it's a conflict of interest. Just saying. Now, Binance sees a record 130,000 BTC inflow as opinions differ on what price Bitcoin will do next. All right. Last few, last couple, since this entire FTX thing has happened, we've seen lots of people tweeting of record outflows of BTC from exchanges. But Binance is seeing 138,000 BTC of inflows, at least according to William Suberg from Cointelegraph. Bitcoin inflows to the largest exchange, 
Binance just saw a giant spike reminiscent of the 2018 bear market capitulation. Data from on-chain analytics platform CryptoQuant shows that on November the 18th, a giant tranche of almost 60,000 BTC entered Binance's wallet. BTC price contagion fears, thanks to FTX insolvencies and related panic sellings, are ongoing. Now, the latest on-chain figures from Binance could provide an additional catalyst for nervous markets. The exchange has seen its biggest daily inflow on record, with November 18th not over. Partial data from CryptoQuant puts current inflows at over 138,000 BTC for the day so far. To put the deposit in perspective, even taking into account outflows, not just at Binance, but other major exchanges, the inflows are still the largest since November the 30th back in 2018. Two weeks later, BTC USD bottomed at $3,100 after falling 40%. For Binance itself, meanwhile, the move means that its BTC reserves are now higher than before the FTX debacle began. 573,000 BTC compared to 513,000 on November the 6th. The event has not gone unnoticed, and one commentator was quick to note that just over 59,000 had come from a DPEG of Binance's Bitcoin BEP2 token, also known as BTCB. BTCB is a Bitcoin-backed token on Binance chain with publicly known reserve address. This wallet contains 68,200 BTC at the time of writing, having seen outflows of 127,351 BTC on the day. Unlike regular operations, however, the decrease in the BTCB market cap at the same time as the reserve decreased suggests that genuine selling is afoot, according to CryptoQuant CEO Kai Young Zhu. Kai explained the theory behind what he called sell-side pressure in a Twitter thread. Quote, Rationale. If you're CZ, why do you unpeg Bitcoin from BNB chain? Your goal is to support projects on BNB chain. No announcements from Binance means it's customers or investors' money. So, I think this activity was highly likely from customers who are in an urgent situation, end quote. Opinions were, nonetheless, far from aligned on the issue, with others arguing that the giant inflows were simply internal reorganization, which would have no further repercussions. Yeah, I don't buy that. Quote, Binance saw a large inflow of up to 127,351 Bitcoin and a large outflow of nearly 50,000 Bitcoin today. On-chain verification shows that these inflows and outflows are organized by internal wallets, which are transfers between cold wallets and wallets for proof of reserves, cryptocurrency journalist Colin Wu stated in a highly reproduced tweet. I will never see those tweets again because I'm not on Twitter. Quote, I don't really understand the jump rumors. Andrew T., a technician at analytics platform Nansen, tweeted about the general inflow tally to Binance. Quote, there have been some massive outflows the past seven days, but also inflows elsewhere. They're transferring to Binance to dump doesn't seem right, end quote. As Cointelegraph reported, exchange users withdrew over $3 billion in the days following FTX going under, a trend which continues. So here's the other, here's the other thing. Now, this is not meant to scare the piss out of you. But this is the truth. If you can't handle the truth, you're definitely in the, in the wrong segment of society when you come into Bitcoin because it's all about truth. 
for the first time we've had actual truth. But here's some other truth. And it it doesn't feel good to say it. Probably not going to feel good to hear it. But options expiry are coming up for Bitcoin. I it it just happens. It's like so I kind of think that we're we're probably going to see some downfall here. Will it be 40%? Shit, I don't know. I'm not going to predict that crap. I, I don't I don't want you guys like hanging on my every word and stuff like that as to what the price is going to do because I don't know. But, you know, that's a lot of Bitcoin going into Binance, especially after we've seen so much outflow from all the exchanges in in total. And then all of a sudden today, 138,000 BTC go to Binance of all places. And, you know, CZ was the guy that pulled the plug on this entire FTX thing in the first place. He's the one with the kill shot. Don't trust CZ either. I've heard heard people calling him a hero. No, he's not. Dude, he's so transparent in his self-interest that I kind of respect the guy. Doesn't mean I trust him. By the way, that quote is from... uh, (laughs) <laughs> the Big Short. If you haven't seen that movie, I highly recommend you watch that movie. Watch it three times. It's it's actually worth it to watch it three times. Now, moving on. The FTX failure shows why I hate trading and investing. Do I really want to do that one right now? I think I'm going to move that to the back and talk about Blockstream instead. Because Blockstream launches Bowl 2, Community for Bitcoin Development. Bitcoin Magazine, Sean Amick. Blockstream, a company focused on scaling Bitcoin, is launching a platform to connect developers, entrepreneurs, and Bitcoiners from around the world to build on Core Lightning and the Liquid Network, per a release sent to Bitcoin Magazine. Build on L2, aka BOL2, encourages developers to challenge narratives in the broader cryptocurrency space that suggests blockchain projects need to have utility tokens. Developers will focus on solutions furthering Bitcoin's second layer while building on core Lightning and the Liquid Network. Quote, The success of Lightning ultimately depends on the contributions of its community members, explained Lisa Nigut, core Lightning engineer. I probably butchered her name. Sorry about that, Lisa. The Build on L2 initiative brings developers, startups, and other contributors together into the same conversation to share their visions and scale Bitcoin as a wider community. The Liquid Network is a Layer 2 scaling solution that allows the trading of multiple assets outside of Bitcoin, such as USD and stablecoins, utilizing a a sidechain. Core Lightning is a modular Lightning implementation that brings instant, low-cost, global Bitcoin micropayments. Quote, Liquid allows us to build a Bitcoin-native financial system. It contains the tools for maintaining a decentralized asset registry for securities issuance, where Bitcoin is the native settlement currency, says Scott Miller, founder at Sideswap. We hope this vision resonates with the larger Bitcoin community, and we welcome anyone looking to get started on Liquid through the Build on L2 community. Additionally, Communities with BOL2 will host events such as hackathons, virtual networking events, project bounties, international builder tournaments, career development programs, mentoring, and AMAs with developers. At launch, the manifesto of BOL2 has already been signed by prominent Bitcoiners such as Blockstream CEO Adam Back, well-known CLN node operator Zero Fee Routing, Bree CEO Roy Scheinfeld, and others. We can, you know, Bitcoiners continue to build. I don't know what you think about Liquid. I don't use it because I don't need it. 
but, you know, it's Adam back. I know he's been accused and Blockstream has been accused of quite a bit of chicanery, but all that, all those accusations are basically done at the shitcoin level. So I, I just, I just don't see that happening. However, bowl two, it's on the way. There you go. Crypto is flowing out of exchanges. Now, this is the counterpoint to the 138,000 BTC inflow into Binance. Severe outflows from Gemini, OKX, and Crypto.com. And this is all according to JP Morgan. Matt DeSilvo tells us more Decrypt.co. Investors are pulling funds out of major crypto exchanges. As a result of the collapse of FTX, JP Morgan analysts have said. In a note to investors Wednesday, analysts at the investment bank noted that all major exchanges experienced outflows last week, but Gemini, OKX, and Crypto.com had the most severe draining of funds. Analysts also said that the stablecoin market is getting smaller and this may continue to hurt the price of other major cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin. FTX was one of the most popular digital asset exchanges, but it imploded, losing billions in investors' cash. The exchange and its related entities crashed because FTX was using money from the exchange to make bets through trading firm Alameda Research, also founded by Sam Bankman-Fried. After a leaked document revealed Alameda's holdings were primarily in the FTX-issued token, FTT, and other highly illiquid assets, rival exchange Binance announced that it was going to sell off its entire FTT stash. (laughs) Yeah, we know, dude. The fall of the exchange sent shockwaves to the crypto market. Quote, We had argued last week, similar to what we saw after the collapse of TerraUSD last May, the current deleveraging phase that started with the collapse of Alameda Research and FTX, is likely to reverberate for at least a few weeks, inducing a cascade of margin calls, deleveraging, and crypto company platform failures, JP Morgan's analysts wrote, referring to the collapse earlier this year of crypto project Terra, which also lost billions of dollars of investors' cash. Quote, deleveraging in this case is when investors or companies reduce the debt they previously took on to make investments in the crypto sphere. Most market analysts agree that Only after the bad debt is flushed out will the crypto market reach its bottom and potentially recover. Analysts added that unless the stablecoin market doesn't stop shrinking, the market will struggle to recover. Quote, it would be difficult here to imagine a sustained recovery in crypto prices without the shrinkage of the stablecoin universe stopping, the note read. Stablecoins are a type of cryptocurrency pegged to other assets like the dollar or gold. These digital assets are often used by crypto traders to quickly enter and exit positions in other coins or tokens without the need to convert to a fiat currency like U.S. dollars, and they are considered to be the backbone of the crypto market. J.P. Morgan said that the market cap of largest stable coins peaked at $186 billion in May, right before Terra's collapse, but has been declining since then, with $25 billion being chased out via stablecoin redemptions. So there's the other side of the inflow into Binance. What can we make of it all? Well, I think it's dangerous to conjecture in either direction. Bitcoin's price is going to go up. Bitcoin price is going to go down. You should do X. You know what you should do? You should buy Bitcoin. You should hold Bitcoin on your own private keys. I just, that's what I do. You know, is that what Naive Bukele is going to do? I don't know. Like I said earlier, 
you're going to have to prove it to me that he's actually buying a full Bitcoin every day. That's a lot of money. Even for, you know, for a small country like El Salvador, that's a lot of money. You know, it's like, of course, I guess, I guess it is a whole country of, you know, 7 million people. Maybe it's just a margin of error, but I don't know, man. One one full Bitcoin at $16,500 is, uh, uh, you know, that's still a lot of money when you're doing it every single day. Anyway, let's, 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 let's move on here. Uh, let's see. What do we want to do next? Do we have time to do this one? Uh, let's do this one first. The FTX failures show why I hate trading and investing. Okay. Mark Maria, Bitcoin Magazine. I find it tragic to note the number of people in the United States who are being forced by the Federal Reserve's monetary policy to take risks with their hard-earned capital. Those of us fortunate enough to already possess wealth are buying overpriced homes, overpriced stocks, overhyped cryptocurrencies, and Bitcoin. To quote Senator Lummis, amongst others, thank God for Bitcoin. The collapse surrounding the centralized exchange FTX is the latest example of why I hate trading and investing especially when it comes to the shitcoin market. Not only do you bear incredible risk as you essentially gamble on the assets listed, but the entity that holds your money is gambling with it too. The entire time, you are trusting a third party which is only interested in making money with your money and not giving you a fair chance trading while they're at it. I'd contend that the well-informed investor will see fantastic ROI well in excess of inflation and money printing and enjoy the least amount of risk by investing in Bitcoin. In my early days as a lawyer, one of my mentors was the executive director of a nonprofit that provided housing to widows and orphans. He would frequently say this organization was only allowed to invest in widows and orphan stocks, which were blue chips, by which he meant they involved less risk and we're likely to be around for the long term. Even though it's not mainstream yet, I believe that Bitcoin is the best savings technology in the history of our species. I'm confident that Bitcoin will outlive me, my children and grandchildren. My mom was a shrewd buy and hold investor who heavily influenced my distaste for trading and my preference for long-term investing. Early in my career in the mid-1980s, I served as a defense litigator for a penny stock firm and er learned that our financial markets had been rigged for a very long time. So I've never been a trader, and my record as an investor was spotty until I invested in Bitcoin. I see all the altcoin scams today, and it reminds me of the penny stock era. I'm not trying to convince you that the markets are rigged, but I only share that view to help the reader understand why I hate trading and investing. I want a level playing field. What I learned is there have been plenty of cronies and insiders getting preferential treatment, making them rich for many decades, and it seems to be getting worse. I want something that operates on a level playing field and treats everyone the same. I want to buy and hold this asset for a decade or more and be confident it will hold its value. I want one that does, I won't lose sleep over. The long-standing safe havens don't work anymore when the Fed is devaluing the currency at double digits every year. Add in the negative interest rate of having to pay a financial institution an annual 1% or more for managing my financial in assets in IRAs or 401ks, and you become very cynical. 
Watch out for the hidden 12B1 fees and mutual funds too. Watch out for the middlemen who sit between you and your investment. Everyone wants a cut of your wealth. What I really want as a boomer who is semi-retired is a savings technology that is so secure and bulletproof that it has no peer. Ideally, one that comes with its own digital delivery system, payment rails, that has never been hacked and operates with near-perfect uptime. Well, that is Bitcoin. I want a savings technology that has no third parties standing between me and my assets. I don't want an IOU from a bank or a brokerage firm or a financial institution. I want Bitcoin. I want a savings technology that is so transparent you can search the time chain all the way back to the Genesis block. That's Bitcoin. I want a savings technology that preserves my hard-earned wealth, life force, and purchasing power many years into the future with little risk. That's Bitcoin. I want to save in an asset that is based on absolute scarcity. That's Bitcoin. I want to own an asset that can be bought or sold 24-7, 365, and is more liquid than U.S. Treasuries, and that's Bitcoin. I want an asset that you must choose and is still early in the dial-up phase of adoption. That's Bitcoin. I want an asset that completely removes the need for me to be an investor on Wall Street. I want an asset that allows me to opt out of the fiat system. That's Bitcoin. Was the learning curve on Bitcoin steep? Absolutely. And worth it. What you will find if you put hundreds or even thousands of hours into doing your homework is that the ROI on Bitcoin has made it far and away the best performing asset class for the last decade and it has no peer. With the wall of adoption happening in Bitcoin by nation states, wealth funds, hedge funds, Wall Street and family offices, along with recent increased regulatory uncertainty, Bitcoin has been de-risked. Ray Dalio prefers Bitcoin to bonds. In my opinion... Based on extensive research, Bitcoin presents a lower risk profile than any other asset class in a manipulated interest rate world. Properly self-custodied, which is a task in itself, it affords much less risk than the U.S. dollars sitting in my bank. Why? Because I don't hold those U.S. dollars in my possession. All I have from my bank or financial institution is an IOU for dollars. And as we've learned throughout history, Governments, banks, and nation states have an unseemly track record when the unexpected happens and they have the power to take our money outright, which is what happened in Canada, in Cyprus, or by stealth through any currency debasement. For those of you still on the fence, I encourage you to begin your homework today. I find it shocking and tragic that our school system does not teach us from an early age about money. It's so vital. I recently taught several classes of 7th and 8th graders about money and Bitcoin and will challenge those who feel up to the task to do the same. There is nothing I'd love to see more than 100,000 Bitcoiners going into their local classrooms to teach youngsters about money and Bitcoin. Please contact me and I will share my outline and approach. Closing your knowledge gap around money and Bitcoin will give you an unfair advantage over those too lazy, ignorant, or fearful to do the work. And once you do, you won't regret it. As the proverb says, a journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. Bitcoin is a language that is well worth learning. Bitcoin is also a belief system that is gaining adherence through network adoption faster than any other technology in human history. I suggest you get on the train or take the risk of getting run over by it. Mark Maria, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, you can get, let's see, let's see if he's got a... Uh, if I can get to his, oh man, I just need to be able to get to his, uh, 
damn it. He only seems to be able, I only be able to seem to be able to get to Mark Maria via his LinkedIn. Oh my God. Please tell me it's not. So let's see what we got here. Uh, Cause I just want to give you his, his contact information in case you're interested in, in taking him up on his offer. Uh, it's going to be linkedin.com forward slash I N forward slash Mark Maria, M A R K M A R A I A. Okay. So I want to go back to what he's something that he said in this last paragraph here. Uh, oh, wait, no, I, I get, sorry. <laughs> lost my place. lost my place. Um, what did he say? Bitcoin is also a belief system that is gaining adherence through network adoption faster than any other technology in human history. And he's not wrong. And when he went back to like back up earlier in the article, he was talking about not having to worry about, he wanted Bitcoin because he didn't want to have to worry about all the rest of the shit, you know, and that, and that it was, you know, de-risking. Well, yeah, that's where I disagree with Mark. I don't think Bitcoin is properly de-risked at this point because people are fearful animals. You know, we're hairless apes and we fell out of the tree over a blink of an eye in compare, you know, ago compared to geologic time. And we still have fight or flight. We still have a, a preponderance of our body systems are controlled by the lizard brain. Your breathing, your heart rate, your blood pressure, your internal temperature. You don't control that. Some, you know, monks do, I suppose. But generally speaking, we don't control our heart rate. Our lizard brain does that. Also happens to be the place where fight or flight reactions occur. You know, if you get too scared, you may just want to run away. Or if you get really freaked out, you may just want to stand and fight. However, that I think is balanced. Like for the people that are scared that we're going to see another 40% drop in Bitcoin, just be ready for it. Be mentally prepared. It doesn't make it easier. It just means that at least you're not like just totally fucking surprised that it happened because that's where fight or flight will come in. But I think that that's counterbalanced by the knowledge of knowing that Bitcoin has been adopted faster than any other technology that we have. Faster than electricity, faster than automobiles, faster than airplane travel. You get where I'm going? That's a real metric that you should keep in your back pocket and pull out every time you feel like you might be close to a fight or flight reaction. I'll let you ponder on that one. That's going to do it for the morning roundup. I may be banned on Twitter, but I can still tell you dad says jokes from Twitter. My neighbor blamed my gravel for making him fall, but it was his own dumb ass fault. Boostograms, I got him. At Bubba sent me 20,000 Satoshis yesterday. That echo in the Sufio was like drinking on a Saturday. Thanks for the bucks. I guess he's misspelled studio. I'm not exactly sure what you're talking about there, Bubba, but I love you all the same. Good luck to uh, your continued teaching of your wife how to drive the big rigs, because honestly, 
I still, I watch people back up big rigs and it's the most amazing thing. Cause every time I've had a, just a, even a small trailer, it's like doing calculus in my head to be able to get the trailer to go where I want when I'm backing up. I can't imagine doing it with an 18 wheeler hats off to your wife, bro. Letter 6173 with striper boost says I converted a shit coin called USD into sats for this donation. Please consider doing the same with your money. Uh, yes, convert convert to USD. I mean, uh, to Bitcoin from USD. Yeah, get, get, if you can, get out of it, man. Sort of like getting out of the cities. Uh, Bit Happens 1331 with 444 sats says, A UFO comes to Earth after stopping at an asteroid made of gold and Neptune for diamond rain slash ocean zips down and trades it to a dolphin whom pays with Bitcoin. BTC won't discriminate or exclude. So as a dolphin with private keys, why be concerned with gold or diamonds? Immutable, finite, and exclusive to this earth, custody equals clicks and BTC equals tuna for my pod, Tuna Peter. Oh my God. Hold on. Wait, I misread that. And BTC equals tuna for my pod, but Peter's pod recently had account seized. No tuna, Peter? Saddened. Darwin then swims to Pete after BTC purchases of shiny rocks and a hardware wallet. Uh, Bit happens 1331 again with 321 sat says, I'm glad you could see where I was going with that. I didn't want to seem like I was strictly bashing gold. This boost thing is cool. I wish I had more characters. Have you ever heard of monoatomic gold, not to be confused with the nano or colloidal? Also, do you have any runner-up topics to pizza as favorite conspiracies? Uh, monoatomic gold. The only thing that I know about monoatomic gold is in the word itself, monoatomic, which means a single gold atom that is not, re- that is not in any kind of covalent conjunction with any other atom, including gold itself, which kind of doesn't do. Um, So I don't, I don't know past that what monoatomic gold would actually do. Um, If you want to let, you know, let me in on the secret, bro. I I, more than happy to uh, (laughs) more than happy to uh, uh, listen to exactly what, what your thoughts are on monoatomic gold. Now, any other conspiracy theories that uh, that I'm looking at other than Pizzagate that are that are fun? <sighs> JFK assassination, bro. I mean that thing. That thing is just it continues to be a shit show. And the more you look at it, the more you realize that again, like the 9/11 story, it's not that I don't believe that JFK didn't get blown away or that I don't believe that he got blown away. He did. I just don't believe the official narrative. Did, did the plane, did planes run into the uh, twin towers on nine 11? Yes, they did. Do I believe the official narrative not on your life? So there's another one that I look at. I, you know, it's, I think what we're, I think we're in the terminus. And what I mean by that is the, the terminus being at the end of the story where humans believe everything that they're told. More and more people, I, I don't know who sent the planes into 
I don't know if there was a guy on the grassy knoll that actually did, you know, the kill shot for JFK. All I do know is that I don't believe the official narratives. I mean, you know, George Bush could have actually been sitting on a plunger like Wiley Coyote on 9-11. I don't care. What I do care about is the narrative that came out afterwards, the Patriot Act, and the continued and accelerated erosion of our freedoms as United States American citizens. That's all I actually care about. Who did it? Was it the Saudis? Were they in conjunction with George Bush? Did the Bin Ladens have something to do with it? Were they putting sticks of gray butter all over the World Trade Centers? Was it a controlled implosion? I, I honestly don't care. I don't know. Looks like it, but I don't know. I'm not a demolition expert, so I wouldn't be able to actually say. But yeah, JFK assassination and then the whole 9-11 thing, I guess would be my two other favorites other than Pizzagate. Pizzagate is my favorite because honestly... It's so absurd and it's kind of, it's, it's not as intrusive as the JFK assassination and 9-11. Okay. So with all that said, if you want to support the show, podcasting 2.0 is the way to go. You can give me booster grams like I just read, or you can support the show streaming Satoshi's while I stream you these dulcet tones. You do that. And I'll be able to see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.